Amen. Well, we're going to continue on um, what we've covered the last couple weeks. There's just still more that we have here. Uh, we, we started, I thought it would be just a one-off, but we started talking about running with purpose a few weeks ago. We're going to continue on that. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the Amplified Classic, it says, therefore, then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have become or have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, in that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us, and let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. In the NLT, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So we've said, you know, this, this verse right, right here uh, talks about stripping off every weight, any encumbrance, anything that would hinder us and the sin which so easily ensnares us and tangles us. So we're talking about things that would trip us up or weigh us down, both naturally, I mean, it could be naturally, mentally, but we're, they may not be sin. In other words, you could have things in your life doing things that aren't, um, they're not wrong, they're not against the Bible, but they're just not going to help you. And we've touched on that some. You know, if you're running a race, you or, or playing a, a sport, anything where you're in competition, you're going to do it in a, such a way that it gives you the advantage to succeed. In other words, if you're running a 100-meter sprint, you're not going to wear a trench coat, you're not going to wear boots, you're not going to wear things that would slow you down. Those have a purpose. There's nothing morally wrong about those things. It's just that they don't help you when you're running on a track. They help you on a day like today. When it's snowy and you're, it's cold and you're outside and you got to snow, well, you don't want to be in little shorts and a top that wicks away the sweat. That's great, but you know, when it's cold, that's not what you need. You don't need light gear, you need heavy gear. But when you're in a race, you need light gear. And so we each have a race to run. Notice it says the race God has set before us. It's not your neighbor's race. And that's where you get into trouble. You look at somebody else and go, well, they're doing this. What's wrong with it? There's not, not necessarily anything wrong with it. But what, what are you doing? You know, what am I doing? What, are we, what is our race and what, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to be ready to do what God has called us to do? So we spent some time talking about some of those aspects. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 says, um, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the price? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. What we just said. Run it, 
the way you need to, so you're going to win, so you're going to be ready, so you can do it effectively. And in our life, then we need to understand from, from the Lord, what is it we're supposed to do, and how do we, what do we need to prepare, what do we need to change, so that we're able to run effectively. You know, um, people that run in a, in a race or any kind of competition, play a sport, perform uh, musically, let's just say the people that are or, uh, competing in the Olympics, they didn't wake up the week before and say, you know what, next week I'm going to go to the tryouts for the Olympics in whatever. I'm going to go, you know, run the 100-meter dash, or I'm going to try out for the soccer team or whatever. And they've never done, they've never touched a soccer ball or they've never run any competitive race and they just roll out of bed and say, I'm going to do that. There's probably no cases of that happening. Those people, I mean, have you read some of the stories these people put themselves through? It is their life. They do, they optimize everything so that they can train, 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 train. That's what they do. And there's stuff that they put aside that isn't necessarily bad. It just gets in the way. And so, here he's saying again, run so in a way that you may obtain the prize. Well, it's not bad to do certain things, but it's just going to get in the way. And what are they there for? If you're running the Olympics or competing in the Olympics while you're there, you're there to win. Not just to run, not just to be a has-been, but to actually win. Well, uh, Paul is telling us, the people, he's using that as an illustration. You know these people that are running in the race, they're doing it in a way that uh, they may win. And he's comparing it to the way we're running in life. He said, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, or disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Uh, verse 20... Can you go to the next verse, verse 26? Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. So not as one that's just, you know, doing empty motion, but for a purpose. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. So running on purpose. We touched a base on some of that. Verse, uh, or Ephesians 6, verse 10, we, we uh, touched base on this too. Just going through some of the things we've said so we can go forward. Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So notice verse 10, it says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So you're going to do this in, the, in God's power, not in your power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So he said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not just natural. We touch base on that some too. This isn't. We use illustrations about it being just a natural race, but we're not in just a natural race there is a spiritual aspect to everything we're doing. We are a spirit. We live, or we, we are a spirit, we have a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and we live in a body. But 
when you look at what the majority of the world is, is saying and doing, they're not emphasizing that spiritual realm. In fact, if you listen to the majority of what's being said in the world, they're going, you're going to be convinced that all there is is your body and your mind. In fact, if, if there is something spiritual being said that, well, we know that's not true. We know that those are beliefs that people used to have, but, you know, we're of a higher understanding, so we understand those are, that can all be explained by natural means. That's not real. That's, that's what you'll get, the impression you're going to get. You're not going to, you're not just, not only are you not going to get anything about the Spirit, you're going to get more probably in a lot of, um, a lot of areas, you're going to get a negative about the Spirit. In fact, that there isn't any such thing, and that if you do believe in that, somehow you're missing it and you're ignorant. So it's downplayed, it's pushed down, it's cast to the side, and so we need to be careful what we're looking at when we're determining how we're going to run this race. How, when we're determining how we're going to do what we need to do and what it is we're supposed to do, you, you can use natural resources, but you can't depend on them because you're not just doing things in the natural. If you look at just the natural, then you're going to be making decisions just like people that don't have any spiritual help from the Lord, that don't believe in anything spiritual, and, we're, and then you act like there is nothing spiritual, that it's just whatever you can figure out, whoever your connections are, whatever your education is, whatever your plan is, and whoever has the best plan and has the best execution is going to win. That's not true in the spiritual. Just go read the Bible. How many times did God use something that didn't look like it was the, the strongest, best, laid out, uh, you know, plan. I mean, start with Jesus. If we were thinking we're going to save the world, it probably wouldn't look like a little baby coming in a manger in a lowly life as a carpenter. It, 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 that doesn't look like somebody that's the king of the universe. Does it? Look at how many times, I mean, David did not look like the guy that's going to take out Goliath. If you're going by just analysis, you know, I don't, I'm not a military person, but if you're trying to win this battle, and I'm just looking, if I'm going to depend on me winning, or our side winning, based on the champion that we put out against this giant, I'm not thinking David's the guy. I'm not. I mean, if we're honest, that's not the way you think. You don't think analytically, physically, if that's all you think, that's the wrong answer, right? That's just not the, that's not the right path. There is nothing that you can analyze that's going to come up with that being the right answer. You can run it however many times you want, uh, all the data. It's just not going to be the right way. But there is way more to what we are walking in than just what we can see, feel, taste, touch, what we can think, what we can comprehend. We need to understand that because as we're going through this life, we need to understand the backdrop is spiritual and the war that we're in is spiritual and the pressure you feel is real and it's spiritual. 
See, we've dumbed it down in this society to everything is mental. If there's a problem, and I don't believe there's any spiritual, like, evil. There is. I'm not saying everything's a devil, but they, they're, they're, the society has made it so that there's nothing spiritual. It's all a mental issue. That's just not true. It's just physical. That's just not true. There are spirits behind certain things. There is a pressure that tries to push on you and discourage you. And it's not just your thoughts. It is spiritual. Trying, they're in a war. There is a spirit, there's a, a spiritual realm, and Satan's kingdom is in a war. And he's playing to win. And he's playing with spiritual weapons, fighting with spiritual weapons. Doesn't matter if people think that's true or not. It's real. It's the reality. And it's effective. And it's especially effective when people don't think it exists. And so then if we're going to go and, you know, Paul's exhorting us, let's run, let's strip off the things that don't matter. Well, how are you going to determine that if you're just doing it natural and you're not... You're not considering the reality of the situation. You can't do that effectively. You're going to say, well, let's see. Look at using my, my um, experience and my, what I can see and my uh, mind. This is what we ought to do. You're going to come up with the wrong answer because you're not considering the reality of the race and the situation. How are we going to know what to strip off? How are we going to know what to isolate? If you're just doing it analytically, you're going to come up. You're never going to come up with the David. You're never going to come up with the right answer. You're never going to come off with the effective plan, the right plan. It might be so, uh, okay. It might be what somebody else in the natural comes up, but why would we want to limit ourselves to that? As children of God, if it's God's plan, then we need to get His way of doing it. There's so much substitution for mental, especially in this day and age, we have a lot of resources as far as knowledge. If you want, if you want to take any endeavor, if you're going to start something, what if, if somebody doesn't know something about a subject and they're going to go buy something or they're going to get involved in something, one of the first things people do now is they go look it up on a search engine or Google it, you know, common term people go look it up on the internet. They're going first to the head. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying that's not the sole source of information. That's the same as anybody else in the world can do. But we're not supposed to walk like everybody else in the world. We're supposed to walk as children of, of God. And if we're going to follow His plan, who is the source, the, the prime source that you should be going to to carry out His plan? Him. If it's his plan, you go, that sounds great. Let me go ask these 15 other people what they think of how they would do it if it were their plan. But that's what we do. That's what we tend to do. Well, that sounds like a good idea. Hold that thought. Let me go see what I can, I can, I can research up about it. And let me see what all these people said about it. Well, if it's God's plan, don't you think he knows what to do? Don't you think he knows how to execute it? Don't you think he knows what's coming? But it's not always going to just compute with our natural minds going, oh yeah, that's the way I would do it. No, a lot of times when people, when you got the majority of people going, oh yeah, how many times has that been wrong? Just because there's a lot of people doing it does not mean it's right. There's a whole lot of people that support a whole lot of things that just aren't even remotely godly or, or what he would do. 
God's ways are right. He doesn't need to research anything. He doesn't need to consult with anybody. He knows what needs to happen, so we need to look to Him. His race that He has set out for you, you're going to be... You get the best source, the, the prime source is going to be Him. He's the one that can answer your questions. He's the one that can guide you and lead you. We have to understand and remember that it is a spiritual endeavor. Not natural. Not solely in the mind. Luke 22, verse 41, <coughs> this is talking about Jesus. Believe with me that we'll get this out the way we need to get it out. Luke 22, verse 41 says, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. This is Jesus saying, Father, if it is your will. So this is when he's in the garden, when he's going to be going to the cross for you and me. And he's praying about this, and it's pushing on him. If you don't, we know, we can see it very clearly here, this is a spiritual battle. What's going on in the natural, he recoils from. I mean, what, what he's going to endure in the, the flesh, can you imagine? I mean, just in the flesh. Being crucified, if you've never seen the Passion of the Christ, it's graphic. You know, if the children are old enough, it's graphic, but it's probably not even as bad as it was when Jesus was crucified. You should watch it. It's hard to watch. But what he endured for us will give you a new appreciation for what he did. And he's recoiling from that, but that's not the, the worst thing. The Father God was going to have to forsake him. And he's going to have to turn his back on him. When Jesus cried, uh, why have you forsaken me? That's never been. He's never been separated from the Father. He, this whole thing, you don't believe Satan was pushing him flesh mind, everything. You think you've ever felt pressured? The Son of God had all pressure being born on Him just to give it up. Stop. This is not worth it. Those people aren't worth it. They're, and He knew. I mean, they're going to spit on Him. They're going to put crown of thorns on Him. They're going to beat Him and rip the flesh off Him to where He's barely recognizable. For what? For you and me? There, you don't think there was thought saying, they're not worth it. Don't do you, what, what you're about to go through. Just call on the angels and be done. And he could have. There was a temptation. There was a push. It, this wasn't just natural. This was spiritual. I mean, he is the son of God. Come. He knows what the will of God is for him. And he's come to know and he is willing to lay down his life in the most, most horrific way and, and spiritually to be rejected by his father. He's God. He's going to be separated. This is something that's never been. And he's doing it. He pushes through and said, this is what I'm supposed to do. And he pushes through it. 
And it's not for any calculation mentally or anything, obviously not physically. Good night, you'd be running as fast as you could away from that if it was anything physical. It has nothing to do with anything. It is all, what would you have me to do, and then what does it take to do that? So he is in the garden. He's, the other, other disciples are there, and, and he's walked away from them, and he's gone a little ways so he can pray. And he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. He's saying, if there's any other way to do it, let's, let's do it that way. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down in the ground. He is being pressed. He's being pushed but he is looking past what he sees and feels, obviously. If you're going by that, he's, he's done. He's like, I don't have to do this. I'm out. But he's looking past that, and he is, he is drawing on strength beyond the natural to do this. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be with you in you, which also was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the, the point of death, even to the death of the cross. So he came in the form of a man, and humbled himself to go forward and to do this. His body didn't want to do it. His mind didn't want to do it. Spiritually, he did not want to be separated. But he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He did what God told him to do. His race was set before him. The Bible says for the joy set before him. He endured this. He looked past what it looked like in the, in the, right in front of him in the imminent future and looked past it to see you and me sitting here today and that we would be saved because of him. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. He, he became obedient to the point of death. He went through with it, did what God had ordained he do, so that you and I could be saved, and because of that, his name was exalted. But notice verse 5 there, it said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to describe what we just read. Let this mind be in you, which he had. What is that? Whatever you say, God, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at it in the scheme of things, the big scheme of things. I'm not looking at it based on what I feel. I'm not looking at it based on what I can understand, what my analysis is, what I think you should do. Lord, if there, Jesus himself prayed, if there's any other way, let's do it that way. But he said, nevertheless, I'm doing it your way. Why? Because that, doing it his way, is so much more important than trying to come up with a different scheme. He couldn't come up with something else that would work. We asked God, is there a different way we can get this thing done? 
because he didn't want to do it. His flesh, mind, recoiled. But it says here, let this mind be in you, in you that was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's our example. How did he do it? How did he go through it? What did he, uh, how did he approach what was before him? Because he's, he's our champion. He's the master. He's the one we look to. How did he do it? And then that's how we need to do it. In the Amplified Classic, verse 5 said, Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be, be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility. He was humble. He, he, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. He said, It's not my will, your will. And this is saying, let us have that same approach. God, what would you have me to do? What's your purpose? What's your plan? What's your race? Yeah, but I want to do such and such because somebody else is doing it and they're doing fine and why can't we do it that way? Are they called to do what you're called to do? Are they on the path that you are on? Is it fine? Is it going to get in the way? Is it going to help? But I like that. It doesn't matter. See, humility, the way Jesus did it, he said, it, not my will, but your will be done. See, that shows a bowing of the knee. That says, not me, you. Not what I want to do, not the way I think it should be done, not my analysis. If you said it, that's what we're doing. You're right. If it's your pathway, then we're going on your pathway. You know what to do. More than anything I could come up with or any room full of you know, PhDs could come up with, God is above all. And if he said it, that's the way we're going to do it. That's the way I'm going to do it. That's, that's our attitude is humility. But notice what happened after he did that. When he did it, the way uh, God would have him do it, verse 9, if you go back to the New King James, verse 9 says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So he said, I'm doing it God's way. I'm going to do it the way you said. And God exalted him. See, it wasn't for naught what he did. It wasn't, well, we're just doing this just to do it. God's purpose in what Jesus did was to... to reconcile all the world to himself, but Jesus himself obtained the name that was above, that's above every name. God rewards those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 says that. We don't have that verse, but Hebrews 11 says, uh, you must believe that God is. He who comes to God must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There is a, a payoff to serving God. We, we serve him and do what he wants to do out of humility, out of reverence for him. But don't ever listen to the voice that somehow you won't be taken care of. We read that verse in the, in, when we were taking offering. The righteous will be taken care of. God's plan is right and true, and His ways are above every way. Praise God. God Almighty, He emptied Himself 
of every privilege. The Bible says in, in uh, verse 6, Philippians 2, verse 6 in the Passion Translation, says, He existed in the form of God, yet He gave no thought to seizing equality with God as His supreme prize. In other words, He didn't hold on to it and say, Oh, but I'm God, I can't do that. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. You understand, Jesus is identified with us to this day. The Bible says the man Christ Jesus. He is always, forever identified with us. People think, well, he just did it and then he came back and there's, there's nothing. What, what was the point? He identified with humanity forever. You see, people see, when they've seen him, still see the scars in his hands. He's identified. The Bible says when he appeared, he had a flesh and bone body. The God Almighty, part of the, the Trinity, identifies with mankind forever. It wasn't just like, well, he did it in his do-over. Well, it's okay. Well, what was the point of that? Forever he identified with you and I. He's God. And he loved us so much that he said, okay, we're doing this. And he humbled himself and did it that way. And he is our example. He's our master. He's the one we look to. Colossians 3, verse 16. Colossians 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. Verse 16 says, Let let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So as we're going through this, to let him, let who he is, let the word of Christ, the word of God, the spirit of God dwell in us richly, that as we're going and doing what he has called us to do, as we're doing what uh, his plan and his purpose is, that we let him dwell in us richly so that we're able to do it the way he is calling us to do it, that we're full, that we're ready. It says, let, let it, uh, the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So it's overflowing. We're full, not just barely getting through, but we're full so that it overflows in teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That, that, don't, make, don't make too much of that. Psalms and hymns, you... You don't have to write something formally. A psalm can just be, you know, something coming out of you, out of your spirit, about how uh, God is good and how He's going to bring you the victory or how anything in His Word, just letting your spirit speak. It could be in the form of a song if you're given that way. A lot of what you see Shelley do. It's, there's psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You see these things come out and things that we can sing. That's what's going on. It's just this overflow of, of the, the Spirit and giving voice to that. 
But don't make it too complicated. It can just be you just yield. If you'll just yield to the Spirit, you can just start speaking these things out. Verse 17, But whatever you do in word and in, or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, doing it because He is the, the example. He's the master. He's the one that's done it before you. You're doing it here not just to do it. You're doing it in His name. His name is the name above all names. His name is exalted above all. Every knee will bow to His name. He went before us, made it possible to do anything for God on this earth because of what He did. And now what we do is in His name. And we give thanks to His name. And we do it through Him. We don't do it in our own way, in our own strength. We say, Lord, what would you want me to do? Okay, not my will, but your will be done. And we go and do what he's asked us to do in his strength, letting him be the example. If God Almighty, the King of the universe, can come and humble himself and do what he did, we can humble ourselves and do what he's asking us to do. And any part that we need to strip off and say, you know what, that's not useful. As God leads, we can do it. If He can humble Himself and empty Himself of all outward glory and become as a man, can't we strip off things by His strength? Not in your own. Don't say, I'm going to do this. Well, by God, say, God, at your leading and guiding, I'm going to do what you'd call me to do. And Lord, as you help me. Because how many of you know, there are certain things you may have tried to strip off. 20 times. You may have used this method and this method and you read this book and you said, I'll try that. And this person used this technique. And there are certain things that are sticky. Because you've done it over and over and you're in a habit and you need God's help. And I need God's help to say, Lord, help me, show me. And he will. He'll show you how to get through and how to cut this. And all of a sudden you're out. You're free. You're, that's gone. It was there, and it was there, and it was there, and it was there, and all of a sudden, it's gone. It's gone. You're free. That's supernatural. And that's what God has for us. If He is going to lead you and guide you, and He has a plan, and you're looking to Him, part of that plan is He'll help you to do everything in His name, and the things that don't need to be there, He'll help you to get rid of it. If we'll listen to Him. If we'll, if, we'll, if we'll just take the steps. See, sometimes we get to where we think we're going to take it. Not that we have a part to play, but we think we're going to do it in our own strength. And like one of my, my instructors at Rhema said, when you try to do something in your own strength in, your, in the flesh, this is what it looks like. You put something down in the flesh, and it's popping out, and you slap it down with the flesh. You know what's going to happen? It's going to pop up somewhere else in your flesh. And what you're going to do, you get, okay, I pop that one down. Then there's going to something on your leg that's popping out, and you're, and now if something pops out, you're, you're going to fall out over. That's what happens. You know, you've seen, you've heard about it. You can name certain habits where people have been doing this, and they stop doing that, but they start doing this. That's the way the flesh works. But with God, if we'll do what God has told us to do, then we'll get rid of certain things and we won't have to pay a price for something else. We don't have another problem inserted in its place. We're free. And we just start stripping off. See, stripping off, that means you, you put it aside, not you strip this off and put something else on. Could be worse. No, God will help us do that. And like I said, it, it doesn't have to be sin. But God will show us what we need to do. 
It's just something that gets in the way. It's just something that's slowing us down. We get, get, things, get things in the proper place so that we can flow with Him. Verse 16 said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace, grace in your hearts to the Lord. You just get the picture of it's rich in you, so it's just overflowing. Rich in you, so you're ready. Rich in you, so somebody needs something, it spills over. Rich in you, so God can flow through you. Rich in you, so you're ready to do what you need to do in every situation. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. In the New Living Translation, it says, Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. In the Amplified, it says, Herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by. Be at hand and ready. Whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, that means to, to, do, to, to, to share. It means you're ready whether you're supposed to be ready or not. Whether it's a service, whether it's at work, you're ready. Well, what, how do you get to that place where you're ready? Just by leading, by following the leading and the prompting of God, following His plan and purpose for your life, He's going to show you what you need. What, get rid of that. that. That's in hindrance. Because you might think, well, I like this. And then that gets in the way when you should be ready. You're dealing with that. He said, keep your sense of urgency. Stand by. Be at hand. Be ready. Do you get that picture? Ready. Something comes up, you're ready. So, oh, wait, you, you, you know where um, Jesus gave the parable about the, the man that was throwing the feast, and he went to this one and that one, and they all had, ex well, you know, I'd come, but just got married. Gone, but I just bought some, you know, cattle, oxen or whatever, but not ready. Not ready to go. Not ready to move. Just, well, wait, hold that thought. Not ready to act. Not ready to give. Give out. You know, like what we, what we were looking at in Colossians. What is ready? I mean, there's general things that are ready. You know, you want to be, you know, spiritually speaking, full of the word. But there are, you being ready for what God has called you to do may not look like somebody else being ready for what God has called them to do. They may be bulking up and you're slimming down. You know, ready to wrestle at a certain, in a certain weight class looks different than ready to swim, you know, uh, in the... Olympics, you know, freestyle medley relay or whatever. It looks different. What you're ready here does not look like ready there. If you, you might be ready over here, but you're woefully inadequate at this other place. 
And if you're saying, well, yeah, I'm ready to do that, but you're supposed to do this, what good does that do? Yeah, I've done everything this person's done, so I'm ready. Yeah, to run their race, but you're not running their race, you're running your race. Are you ready for your race? Are you ready for what God has in front of you? And see, the enemy, he's sly and crafty. And he will, you know, if he can't get you to stop, if he knows you love God, knows you're going to keep going, then he try to get you distracted and try to, it, one of the tactics is get you to look at somebody else. And one of two things is going to happen when you look at somebody else. I mean, at least two things. You're going to think you're, you're going to start being in pride because you're, you're going to look at them and think you measure higher and you're going to be like, ooh, well, at least I'm not doing that. And you're going to get in pride or you're going to look at somebody and go, there is no way I could ever do anything. Look at what they're doing. I am not even in that class. There's no way. And so you disqualify yourself. Either way, you're not in the place you should be. Well, they're doing this and that, and this is the thing, the steps they do. It is, you know, and then you can think, well, I got to do that. Let's do that. Let's get ready. Well, maybe they did do that. You got to be careful. You read books about somebody that did something great for God, and they did X, Y, and Z, so you can start thinking you should do X, Y, and Z. And if it's not something that you need to do, I mean, the enemy can be like, oh, yeah, you really need to do that. You need to do that. And if you're not doing that, you're never going to get to where you need to be. Okay, how do you resolve what you should and should not do? Go to God. What does he say you should do? And what does he say you should do now? Because they may have done that. They may have done X, Y, and Z. And they may have done those as steps. But God was leading and guiding and directing them to do that with what he was getting them ready for. And if you're going to take that and then look at another person and say, I got to do everything they're doing. Another person there, I got to do all that. You're going to be out of your mind in no time flat. And we've already said you don't want to be doing this in your natural mind. If you, you could just analyze everything and everybody's doing something different, what does that mean you're supposed to do? You go insane. How are you going to know what you're going to do? How, only God knows the plan He has for you and knows what you need to do and what steps you need to take. And so what looks like ready for someone else or in some aspect, or in some arena, may not be ready for what you need to do. You know, if you're going to go on the mission field, you're going to go to Africa, ready to go looks a lot different. If you're ready to go, I mean, you've got to be stripped down, mobile, agile, ready to go out in the middle of nowhere with no running water or whatever. If you're ready to do that, you might not be ready for a different type of race, but there's people that are ready to do that. You know, I talked to, there was a, a missionary that uh, we would support in the church that I went to in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they visited, you know, they'd come stateside, and they were in Panama, and they visited, um, and this is the one of you ever tell me that story about the witch doctor and walking through the, um, people walk, they, they told this story, about um, there's a witch doctor there that gotten saved and um, told them that they as Christians, you don't realize how much power you have. We're talking about spiritual. That he said we would, walk, we would see Christians walking through the forest and it's just like a glow, a power that would be going with them. And, and 
We were scared of it. He said, as a witch doctor, we were scared of it. But the Christians didn't know what they were carrying. See, they didn't understand this is spiritual. People that are in tune with the spiritual understand they're spiritual. And he said, you actually, the Christian would walk, and it would just be this glow, this power walking through the forest. Anyway, it, we've talked about that in different aspects. That, uh, that, this is those, those missionaries, and we were talking, I was talking to them in the back room, back... Um, I think I was first married to Shelly and, and just talking to them uh, about what they're doing. And they were just expressing how, you know, just talking to them about how, how do you, the, the type of conditions that they dealt with in Panama and uh, how the lack of what we would consider um, just basic conveniences that they didn't have. And he said, we wouldn't have been any other place. We loved it. We, and he was still there. They, we, we love it there. This is what we're called to do. So there is a grace to do it, an ability to do it. And they were able to do that for decades. But not everybody's called to do that. Not everybody's called. Not everybody's ready. Not everybody has to. And if you're stripping down your life like somebody that's going to go to Panama, but you're not called to Panama, you're wasting your time. If you're getting ready to go without running water when God never called you to do it, you're wasting your time. Yeah, but you should be ready. Yeah, but if you're called to do something in the city, that's never going to be you. Yeah, but I should be ready to do that. Who said? If you're wasting your time doing that, because, well, it's holy and whatever, you're being misdirected. That's what they were called to do. They, and it wasn't a big burden to them because they were... They were... Uh, called to do that, and they were graced to do it. You, you know, um, people would consider some of the stuff you guys deal with on a regular basis to be too much. For instance, the snow. You know, people, there's some people that they don't want to have anything to do with it. And if you're going to live here, you're going to deal with it. And you're going to deal with cold. I remember one of my instructors said, and it stuck with me, didn't know I was going to move out here, but he was, he was in RMAI, he was one of the guys that would help the alumni, you know, and deal with a phone call, but they were teachers, but then they would uh, also um, deal with the, the people that were um, in the alumni and the people that were in the ministry and, and have phone calls, but he would say, we can't get anybody to go up into the Northeast because it's cold. <laughs> And I had no thought at that point about ever going, but it stuck with me, you know, about, about that. It's like, well, I'm from Nebraska. It's colder there a lot of the time than here. But do you understand people, things that you would deal with, other people don't want to have anything to do with and vice versa. If you think, if you're, if you're gearing, if somebody is gearing to have to deal with the cold and the snow, but they're always, for their life, they're going to live in Texas. They're doing the wrong preparation. And it's all relative anyway. You know, the amount of snow we get versus the amount of snow they get in Canada or they get like in upstate New York, is a, it's a joke what we get. you got to be geared at a different level if you're going to deal with that, right? Yes. You're not dealing with a little bit of snow. You're dealing with snow all the time. And you got to have the equipment and you got it. It's a different deal. And if you're going to go into that thinking, well, I'm used to snow. You know, you're used to this much snow. That's all natural. We understand that. But people do this spiritually all the time. They say, well, 
I, it should look like this, and I'm going to go over here. The only way you're going to know what you should do and what you need to put on and take off and, and, run, and run with is by God letting you know by His Word and by His Spirit what you need to do, what your race involves. And you need to get it out of your head what anybody else is doing. And what their race looks like. Because if you try to prepare, you cannot possibly do, be ready for every type of call. If you're a businessman, you need to prepare like that. If you're a teacher, you need to prepare like that. If you're a minister, you need to prepare like that. If you're an athlete, that's a different type of pre preparation. If you're, if you're at home uh, for a season with children, then you don't need to prepare like somebody that is a traveling salesperson. This is, this is uh, straight for us in the natural, but with the spiritual, that's what people get jumbled up. They hear different people saying different things, and they feel like they have to do it all. You can't do it all. You can't prepare for it all. If you're a morning person, and you know, okay, I get it. You can tell your body what to do. You, you, it can, it, whatever God tells you to do, you can do it. But... You don't also don't have to uh, recoil against everything that's natural to you either. There's God-given abilities and, and talents and ways of doing things in you that can be used. And we, you need to learn how to just flow with that and not do what everybody else thinks is the right way. They may get up at 4 o'clock and do whatever. There's other people that stay up till 2 o'clock and do spend time with God. Well, if you try to do both, you're going to die young. Yes. <laughs> well, I want what this person has, but I want what this person. This person gets up four, this person goes to bed at two. That means you're getting two hours of sleep. That's not going to last long. Yeah, but I got to do it because they have this result. Forget what people do versus the results, and we need to just focus on what is God asking us to do. Run your race. See, it's easier to do what somebody else is doing than to find out what God wants you to do. It's easier to read a book and say, well, I believe I'll implement that. Than to say, God, what would you have me implement? Because that could be like a blank piece of paper. I'd rather just organize this outline than say, God, what would you like me to do? Because then that puts the responsibility on us. That shows us what, I mean, that, that puts it on us that we got to hear from him. But he's faithful, and he's good, and he will lead us and guide us where we're at for what he wants us to do. Don't put it out there that I got to be like so-and-so and hear like them and do what they have to do. You will miss God for what he is leading you to do. Just we need to be willing to do what he's asked us to do. And be ready to do whatever it is at the drop of a hat, like what this is saying here. This sense of urgency, sense of purpose, sense of readiness, sense of I'm doing this for a reason. He is faithful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord.